What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun this season. King's Island is now open weekends. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say. It's what we do. Our professionals believe in the value of collaboration and the power of technology. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights. Bolder solutions. Better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference. Driving growth and value for our clients. KPMG. Make the difference. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, December 21st. As you've been hearing in the news, no doubt, the Colorado Supreme Court has barred Donald Trump from appearing on the ballot there for president because they ruled he violated the insurrection clause of the 14th Amendment. Now, I'm going to read the whole clause to start this off because I've been hearing it referred to a lot or tiny little excerpts from it because that's all they can do in a newscast. We have the luxury of time. So here is the full text. No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, remember that part, any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each House, remove such disability. There it is, the insurrection clause of the 14th Amendment, and boy, is that a big run-on sentence in the middle of it, the heart of it, the part that matters, but a lot to discuss in the language there that the Colorado Supreme Court based its 4-3 to decision on, was a split decision, 4-3, to and what the United States Supreme Court is almost certainly now going to consider, so let's consider it here. Our guest for this is Ellie Mistal, justice correspondent and columnist for The Nation magazine and host of a new podcast called Contempt of Court with Ellie Mistal. He is also author of the book, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution, out now in paperback. And spoiler alert, Ellie thinks the Colorado Supreme Court got it right, but the U.S. Supreme Court will overturn. Ellie, always good to have you on. Welcome back to WNYC. Thank you so much for having me on, Brian. Uh, this has definitely ruined my holiday season. I was supposed to be on a beach by now. <laughs> or it made your holiday season because you think the Supreme Court of Colorado got it right. How come? 
Well, you just read the clause, right? You just you just read in a strict constructionist textualist fashion what the Constitution actually says. It doesn't say, as you know, as your listeners, I'm sure, are able to know at this point, it doesn't say that the person has to be convicted of insurrection, right? It, it doesn't say that. It says that you have to engage in insurrection. Well, the Colorado trial court is the court that ruled that Trump engaged in insurrection. But if you remember that ruling from November, from a couple of weeks ago, the trial judge then twisted herself into an illogical knot to come up with the ruling that while Trump engaged in insurrection, she wasn't an, he wasn't an officer of the United States um, under the meaning of the clause which is just facially stupid. Like that is just a facially ridiculous argument, right? And so what the Colorado Supreme Court did uh, this week was basically unravel and reverse that ludicrous argument that Trump wasn't an officer of the United States and then correctly apply the insurrection or disqualification clause of the 14th Amendment to, uh, to Trump. So that's why they got it right on the Constitution. They also, and this is a 215-page decision with, with a lot of dissents, right? They also spent most of their time now understanding what the insurrection clause does, applying the insurrection clause to Colorado state law to determine that Trump could not be on the ballot in Colorado. Brian, what I've just described, a textual, strict constructionist reading of the Constitution and the application of states' rights to federal elections— don't I sound like a Republican? Don't I sound like what the conservatives claim to care about? Strict constructionism and states' rights? That's all the Colorado Supreme Court did. Let me read two text messages that have come in um, that challenge the idea that this is a good idea. Uh, one is a question. Uh, it says, what exactly did he need to do to be guilty of insurrection, and a, an example of him doing it with evidence. The other one says, the Supreme Court, uh, sorry, this says, but the people of Colorado didn't vote for this. Unelected officials, I guess they mean the judges, because they're appointed, made the decision, this is subversion of democracy. Um, but let's take that, that question, and I take it as a skeptical question. What exactly did he need to do to be guilty of insurrection and an example of him doing it with evidence that listener asked for. Because one of the things that's breaking out in this conversation is special counsel Jack Smith did not charge Trump with insurrection, as the government did charge many of the rioters with, no less convict Trump of insurrection. So how can we take it as fact? How did the court take it as fact that Trump, in a legal sense, committed insurrection? Yeah. So first of all, it's a listener who's all like, with evidence. I mean, look at the television on January 6th. And I know listeners who say with evidence think that January 6th was like a tourist uh, 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 excursion to the Capitol, but it wasn't. And the rest of us understand that. So that's the evidence. Right. But in terms of like what he needed to do uh, to be called an insurrectionist, Brian, there was a trial in Colorado for weeks in November that people could have watched and listened to, where pres where evidence was brought, where witness testimony was heard. There was a trial, and the trial judge determined that 
he was an insurrectionist, right? It's just like if there was a trial and I was I was accused of murder and the trial judge decided that I was a murderer. It's the same thing. That's what happened in Colorado. And if people were paying attention, they could have watched it themselves, right. right? So that's how we get to the Supreme Court, which is just an appellate court that now has to apply that fact that right. Trump was ruled an insurrectionist. But my to- understanding from other coverage is that that fact is going to be a point of contention at the Supreme Court. For example, uh, under the argument that there were five days out of those several weeks of hearing that case, there were five days devoted to demonstrating that Trump did engage in insurrection and that that may not be enough to qualify as due process. So so uh, address that and talk to um, exactly how the court did determine that he did engage in insurrection. What did that judge cite? Right. So you're 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 making the process argument. And this is a this is one of the only, I think, credible arguments to make. It's the argument that was raised in the dissent that there there simply wasn't enough due process to end up at the determination that he was an insurrectionist. And Brian, as you know, I have come on your show and screamed my head off at Merrick Garland for not charging Trump with insurrection because mm-hmm. I have always believed that you needed to charge Trump with insurrection for exactly this reason, that it would be simply, it would be difficult to kick Trump off the ballot for insurrection without a federal charge as opposed to a state charge of insurrection. So I think this argument is credible. Where I disagree with it is again, on the conservatives' own logic, right? Like if. As a liberal, I might be quite willing for a federal court to step in and overrule a state court decision that I think was just wrong or insufficiently um, processed, right? But according to conservatives, states' rights means that Colorado gets to make its own determination about who is and who is not an insurrectionist. And that the Supreme Court, as an appellate court, is not allowed to question the factual findings of the Colorado court and instead simply has to apply the factual findings of the Colorado court to the constitution. That's a Republican argument, right? And so my, my, my issue with this, again, I think legitimate, again, this was in the dissent, this legitimate question of was there enough process? I happen to think that the majority was right, that there was enough process, but I think it's credible to question if there was enough process. But according to Republicans, they're not allowed to question. And then the final thing on this point, again, we're talking about Section 3 of the 14th Amendment. Section 3 does not say, it simply does not say that a person has to be convicted of insurrection. It says that a person has to engage in insurrection. And we saw the everybody could see for themselves the engagement on January 6th. It doesn't say that a person has to be convicted. And again, to be Republican for a second, there is a very good originalist reason why the amendment doesn't say that a person has to be convicted of insurrection. And that's because after the Civil War, again, which is what they were concerned about, which is what this amendment is referring to, after the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant did not round up all of the former Confederates and put them on trial for treason. I would have, I would have rounded them all up, put them on trial for treason, uh, treason, and sent them to a prison colony in Haiti because I'm just that petty. <laughs> but that wasn't Grant, that wasn't Lincoln. They didn't round them up. They let them go home. 
So now if you want to exclude these former elected officials who engage in insurrection from running from office again, you can't say that they have to be convicted of insurrection because there was never going to be a trial for the vast majority of them. So they wrote the amendment in such a way as they could still Robert E. Lee never tried for anything, right? They wrote the amendment in such a way that they could stop Robert E. Lee from being, you know, uh, the, the, the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff. Again, I know that wasn't a real position back in mm -hmm. 1866. Mm -hmm. Allow me historic license. Mm -hmm. but they wrote it so that Robert E. Lee couldn't be the secretary of defense without having to go capture and try Robert E. Lee for treason. That's why the amendment is written that way. So again, to your listeners, I understand that it is squeamish to hold Trump accountable for insurrection absent a federal trial where he is convicted for insurrection. And that is literally a point that I have made before. But if we are being strict and Republican and conservative about an interpretation of the Constitution and an, an interpretation of the law, you just don't need it. So if whether immediately or after it goes back to Colorado and comes back to the Supreme Court or however it happens, if the Supreme Court somehow upholds this finding that Trump violated the insurrection clause, but it's being brought by one state, Colorado, it's not like they've had these trials in the 50 states and other places that get to vote for president. Um, does that bar Trump nationwide? Nope. Not at all. Not even close. Right. And there 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 are a couple of terrible reasons for it. Again, there are a couple of Republican federalism reasons for it. Right. Um, here's the here's the right question to ask, Brian. If Trump is disqualified from uh, holding office, is he disqualified from being on a ballot for that office? Right. And the answer to that question is going to really depend on what state you live in and what state court you have, right? Because you, it's absolutely a possibility that the New York state court would apply its election rules differently than an Alabama state court, right? But that's just, that's just the world we live in. We don't have one federal election system. We have 50. And so if you want Trump to get off the ballot, you gotta sue him in all, which crew, by the way, basically has. But you'd have to sue him in all 50 and get, you know, all 50 favorable rulings in order to kick him off the ballot. That's never going to happen in Texas. Right. That's never going to happen in 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 Florida. And it's probably right. never going to happen in Georgia. Right. So there there, there are many states where Trump is going to be on the ballot, whether, you know, doesn't matter. Supreme Court could say he's an erectionist. Jack Smith could win his lawsuit. Trump could be in jail. He's still going to be on the ballot in Alabama. All right. Like that's just like people need to hold their horses on that. Um, there's no I was just talking about this legally technical question of self-executing. There's no federal self-executing mandate that kicks a person off the ballot in every individual state. That's just not how our federal election systems work. Right. So, you know, th there are two ways that I've tried to kind of uh, not exactly wet blanket this, but like kind of make people understand the real, the reality here, right? One is that the Supreme Court is almost certainly going to overturn it. Um, and two is that even if they don't, like you, you got Colorado now, you know, wake me up when you, when you get a favorable ruling in Arizona or Wisconsin 
or you know a battleground state, right? Because Trump wasn't going to win Colorado, no way. Um, and and that's just the reality of of what we're seeing. I think politically, the question is whether or not the Republicans want to run a candidate who potentially can't be on the ballot in all fifty states. But if I know anything about how debased and captured that party is, they will still, like lemmings, follow their leader right off the cliff. Chris Christie, the anti-Trump candidate in the Republican primaries, has come out against barring Trump Trump from the ballot this way. Here's a clip of Chris Christie campaigning in New Hampshire after the ruling came down. Like it's bad for the country if that happens. Now, the other reason I believe that is because, you know, he will have had to incite insurrection, be a part of an insurrection, for him to be excluded. There's been no trial of him on that. Um, so another part uh, of what Christie said, which I probably should have pulled instead because I think it's, it's the more dramatic, more emotional part, is that it's just bad for democracy. It's going to make half the country think that whoever gets elected president next is illegitimate because Trump didn't have the chance because a court removed him. And so let's fight him at the ballot box, as Christie himself is doing, um, and beat him and try to put this whole thing behind us rather than give this more fuel for who knows how long in the future by making uh, half the country or may not be half, but some significant minority think that the whole electoral process was illegitimate. Yeah, Brian, it's just it's just bad for the country. You know, when judges follow the law and hold people accountable, it's just bad when when, when people we like are subject to to criminal prosecution and the consequences of their own actions. And that's what he's that's what's Christie's argument it's that that the law shouldn't apply to Trump because it makes Trump voters sad. And like, I just I just don't agree with that. I just do not fundamentally agree that it is bad for the country to hold people accountable for their actions. And And if we're going to and as I said to a previous caller, if we're going to go down that road, if we're going to go down the road that some laws, even if you think they're in the Constitution, they're just bad. If the Supreme Court follows them, then I don't start with Trump. I start with reproductive rights. Because it's just bad mm. for the country when the mm, voters right. do not get to decide whether or not they have reproductive rights. But, this, but, but, the, but politicians can take them away. Last thing, and this, uh, I'm going to ask you to do this in under a minute, but this, <laughs> is a, this is in the category, something to watch when the Supreme Court actually takes the case. You referred in your piece in The Nation um, to, and the Colorado court did, uh, as well, by name, referred to a ruling that Justice Gorsuch has made previously. What are we watching Justice Gorsuch for? Obviously, a Trump appointee uh, in the is he being consistent category when this goes to the Supreme Court? Real quick. Colorado excluded a man named Abdul Karim Hassan who wanted to run for president in Colorado um, on the Colorado ballot. He was a naturalized citizen. The Constitution says that only natural-born citizens um, can hold the office of president. Neil Gorsuch, when he was a circuit judge for the Tenth Circuit, which oversees Colorado, ruled that Colorado could exclude Hassan from the ballot because of a literalistic reading of the Constitution, natural-born versus naturalized. 
and because states' rights, Colorado gets to decide who's on Colorado's presidential ballot. That was Neil Gorsuch. He was quoted in the Colorado State Supreme Court opinion. And so we're going to see if Gorsuch has the courage of his own convictions. All right, listeners, one for your program to follow along on when this case gets to the Supreme Court. Ellie Mastal, justice correspondent and columnist for The Nation, host of the new podcast, Contempt of Court, with Ellie Mastal, author of the book, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. Listen to our book interview with Ellie from last year, and it's now out in paperback. Ellie, thanks. Thank you so much, Brian. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.